Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. You can turn to Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 28. So we can start in in verse 18. You want to find that. So excited to be still preaching through Revelation. I don't know about you, it's such a privilege for me. I hope you guys realize that from, from me. It's a privilege to, to preach Revelation to you. I don't know how many people I've talked to who have never gone through the book of Revelation at a church before. I have never gone through, and so I have no reference to like what I'm doing. Am I doing it wrong? I, I, I certainly hope not. I'm having a lot of fun doing it, very challenged doing it. Every week, <clears throat> I feel like I could be someone sitting in one of these churches, which is exactly what was meant by this. So when it says to the churches, of course, it's it's talking to us. That's why it says churches in each passage as well. And so let me start reading for us. I'll read the passage this morning. And to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceeded the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my work until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron." As when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So our sermon title this morning is Jesus is Thyrotired of Tolerance. As long as it remains memorable, right? Let me pray for us, guys. Lord, uh, we are no better than anyone who sat in any one of these churches and got these letters. Our hearts need to be convicted as well. As we've gone through several churches already and understood the cost of following you, 
um, that, that you see our faithfulness, that you reward our faithfulness to you, um, that you don't want us to compromise in today, that you would tell us that you don't want us to tolerate. We live in a world where tolerance is proclaimed as a virtue, and yet your word says that tolerance is a sin, that you don't like tolerance. There's no need to be tolerant. We are for you or against you. You proclaim your gospel or we proclaim, proclaim nonsense. Lord, convict our hearts this morning what it means to be tolerant and, and to have tolerance to those in the church who would disagree with, with the teaching of your word, that you would give us hearts and minds to know how to react when someone in our midst is teaching us something that is incorrect, that is heretical. Lord, may your spirit be here and, and preach a better sermon than me this morning, Lord. Preach to our hearts and minds, Lord. And we, we do all these things, Lord, and ask these things through the name of Jesus. Amen. And so let's start by looking at who this letter is addressed to. Verse 18, and to the angel of the church of Thyatira write. And so we have the church of Thyatira, located 40 miles southeast of Pergamum. It's an entirely different kind of city from the cities that we've seen so far. Their worship is a whole lot different. They worship different gods than just the cities a few miles away. Thyatira worships Apollo and Diana as their primary gods. Thyatira is also a, a city of commerce. This city is known for just producing stuff, industry, just producing a wool, linen, leather work. It's known for insane bronze work. It's known for, for its awesome purple dye. In fact, you may remember in the book of Acts that Paul runs into a woman named Lydia who God uses Paul to, to share the gospel with her and bring her to the faith. What do we know about Lydia? Very little, but we know two things. One, she's from Thyatira, and two, she deals in purple goods. So, not only is this region a region of worship, it is a region of trade, and quite frankly, the interesting part about this is that they work together. It's an interesting situation. There's all kinds of labor unions, as you would expect. There's guilds, there's unions. And just like we, if you've ever belonged to a guild, you pay dues, there's requirements for it. In this situation, this city of industry and commerce, part of your, your service and paying your dues is service to the gods of that company, of that trade, whatever's happening there. And so Thyatira, they're not scared of dying like the other churches, right? Jesus doesn't say that they have to worry about facing martyrdom. You know, Pergamum did, Smyrna did. It's interesting here because their threat is economic, their very livelihood. Their whole lives can be shut down by refusing to worship the labor in guild gods. And so then how does Jesus present himself to this church? What is the character of Jesus in this passage? Verse 18b. The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. And so there's three specific characteristics of Jesus in this passage that directly apply to the situation that they are, are facing. And the first is that he is the Son of God. We know that. 
Why is he saying it here? It's very intentional. This is a flex. When he says he is the son of God, he is speaking to a church of people who when they leave the church doors, they face Apollo worship everywhere. That is the city's main God. Who is Apollo? Apollo is the son of Zeus. He is a son of a God. And so it's very intentional that when, he, when Jesus addresses this church, he says, I am the son of God. Reframe their reference in the way that they are thinking. This truth is found throughout Scripture, but I believe it's specifically referencing Psalm 2, verse 7, where it says, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. I believe that this is referenced here because later on we'll see a direct reference to Psalm 2, verse 8. And it makes perfect sense that this would just bookend. This is the context of what is happening. And so Jesus is the Son of God, but he also has burnished bronze feet. Bronze is a symbol of being refined, of purity, of testing. Jesus is pure. And I believe the reason that it is used here in Thyatira, why is, like, who flexes their feet, even if they're very pretty? Like, how's that a flex? But we're talking about bronze here. This city is known in this region as being the masters of bronze. And so Jesus is like, oh, you guys think you can make pretty things with bronze? Your idols, that's cute. Like, I am the living God with bronze feet, perfectly pure bronze feet. And so to follow me, you must be pure as well. To follow in my footsteps, you must be pure as well. And third, Jesus has eyes like a flame. Just think about that. Is that scary? Yeah, it can be. I think sometimes it's very helpful to imagine Jesus with some flame eyes as we're doing something we're not supposed to. But I hope this morning one thing we realize is that is not necessarily a threat. That isn't Jesus saying he's triggered right? The flaming eyes, it can be bad, don't get me wrong. That flame can be bad news for you, but I think the point of this passage today is that it can also be a good thing. The point of this, this, this reality of, of his flame eyes, is that he is the omniscient God. He is all-seeing. He sees absolutely everything. Everything in this passage, the thrust of it, the conversation he's having is based on Jesus sees. Jesus sees the good, Jesus sees the bad, and he gives accordingly to what he sees. And the first thing that Jesus sees, or at least mentions, is good works, good stuff, right? So the flames aren't necessarily bad. Jesus sees good works. Verse 19, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance. We have that again and that your latter works exceed the first. And so Jesus commends them for doing five things right. High five, Church of Thyatira. You guys are doing five things excellently. Now, I don't think we need to spend time looking at these. I think they're pretty self-explanatory. Love, faith, service, patient endurance, and works, which are apparently getting better 
I mean, Jesus sees up to the moment. Yeah, you guys' works are great, and they're getting better. Up to that moment, their works are getting better. Jesus sees that. The point I want us to see this morning that is kind of missed in, in the fiery gaze of Jesus, which can be terrifying and will be terrifying for some, is that he sees the good. Five things he sees in this passage are good. Now, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that one bad thing. We've got to take serious the bad things. But do we as Christians, as the church, focuses, focus on the fact that God sees the good, that Jesus sees the good, that he is pleased? Now, don't get me wrong. Repentance of sin is essential. Repenting of sin that offends God is essential, but we can't live our lives walking on eggshells and looking over our shoulder because we might get a cosmic hand slap. That's not the Christian faith. Another option that we see here is that Jesus sees and acknowledges that people are just loving him and serving him. It's great. You know, as we sang earlier, you know, about the presence of God, if we are living rightly, if we're doing the right things, that is a great way to live, right? That's the Christian walk, just not, not looking for things that, that, that we can't do, but, but to live to please him. This reminds me of the words of Paul in Ephesians 5, 8, and 10. Walk as children of light and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. What is your motivation for serving the Lord? Figuring out what not to do? Because you don't want to upset an angry God? Is that the Christian faith? Or... Do we look for those things that please the Lord and live to please him? We need both. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying one over the other. We need both. We need repentance, but we need joy that comes from living correctly and knowing the omniscient God is pleased with us. The one who sees is taking joy in what we're doing as we're taking joy in serving him. We need that joy and peace in our spirit from right living. If you don't spend time in prayer in your Bible and you just spend time online or looking at your phone, my guess is you're probably in some spectrum of miserable. There's no joy in that. Everything's going wrong. Everybody's going insane. We need that peace and power and joy that comes in living in communion with the omniscient God who sees everything. We must be aware of the presence of God and not just in a bad way, but in a good way. Jesus is here and he's pleased. Even if no one else in life acknowledges your good works, your holy works, or your righteous works, Jesus sees his flaming, piercing, penetrating eyes see good. Right? This, is, this is a great Thing. Those flaming eyes of Jesus, yes, are the, can they judge people? Yes. But that flame is also love for his people, for his children, for those who believe in him. That flame is love. That is passion. That is the flame of somebody who would die for you. And he sees when we do good. Even if no one else does, we can see. And he's happy to list out everything. I'm sure some of these things cross like do love and faith and service are those things any different from each other 
they seem like the same thing, but Jesus is so happy just to say, I see every little thing that you do correctly. You need to know that I see as the all-seeing God, my people pleasing me, and that you should know that I am pleased with you. Now, of course, so five things he doesn't spend a lot of time talking about because all they have to do is continue in those things. But there's this one thing, the bad works, right? He notices the bad works. Jesus sees the bad works in verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. And so there's a lot to unpack here. But the one thing that's crystal clear to the the view from Jesus, what he sees is the issue of this church is one of tolerance. The issue is tolerance. They are tolerating that woman, Jezebel. I guess I could just take this point just uh, as a disclaimer Uh, She's absolutely a woman, but that doesn't mean that guys can go and teach sexual immorality or anything else. She is a woman, but that it's not a womanly thing. Anybody who's a false teacher like this is in serious trouble. The bad flaming eyes of Jesus is staring at them and seeing them. So who is Jezebel? I agree with the majority of scholars, near every single one of them that says This lady is probably not named Jezebel. It's more like she is being a Jezebel is the issue. Because Jezebel is not a compliment. And it's also not something you would name your daughter. This is is a flex. This is meant to call attention. This is offensive language. So Jezebel, back in First and Second Kings of the Old Testament, another Old Testament reference, she's horrible. She's the worst queen in, in the history of Israel. In fact, you don't even know who the other queens are because they're not horrible. She's so horrible, she has to be talked about. And she's married to the weak King Ahab. And so Jezebel, who was a foreigner, leads Israel astray, causes them to worship the Baal and Asherah, And for good measure, she's also a murderer. It's not a compliment to call this woman Jezebel. Now, in the Old Testament, you know, Jezebel, she was able to lead people astray because of her power. She was the queen. So how does Jezebel in this text, in this passage, what power does she wield over this church? Who cares if there's this lady crazy lady just spewing all this stuff. Where, where does she get the authority from? And it says here that she was calling herself a prophetess. Now, I won't, I won't go too far. Actually, I won't go into it at all this morning, but the same thing is happening in our culture with people giving themselves titles, right? Like bishops and apostles and prophets and prophetesses. For what reason? To make a profit. Right? And so this is not new. This is something we need to deal with. Just because somebody comes at you and tells you they have the title, you do not have to believe them. And what we find here is that Jesus sees through the fake. He sees through the fake. And we've seen this a couple times in various letters. In Ephesus, there were those who said they were apostles and were not. And in Smyrna, those who said they were Jews and were not. 
And in Thyatira, a woman who says she's a prophetess and is not. A lot of fake stuff going on at these churches. We must be aware of that. And Jesus is warning them. He sees them and he's warning. He's warning the church. He's warning her here. He's warning both of them. But he's warning the church not to tolerate her teaching. To tolerate sin, to tolerate sexual sin is sin. And it must be repented of. And here's the thing. Jezebel has been asked to repent. They are doing the right thing. So far, so good. Thyatira is a pretty good church from what we, what we pick up. They have those five things that are good about them, and they've told Jezebel to repent. That's good. They saw the fakeness. They've called her out, repent. And in verse 21, it says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. So she's called to repent twice in this passage to turn from her sin and to stop causing other people to sin. If she was a true prophetess, she would repent, right? If she was a true prophetess, she would listen to Jesus. But because of the fact she doesn't repent, this church should know she doesn't belong to Jesus. She doesn't know who Jesus is doesn't speak for Jesus. And then Jesus warns her and those who follow her about the path that they are on in verses 22 and 23, warning to her and those who follow her. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And perhaps this sounds harsh to you, I hear grace. I hear grace through that whole passage. She's been asked repeatedly to repent. Repeatedly to repent, to stop what she's doing. For her followers, it's kind of interesting that there's two contexts here. One is those who are following her and those who completely become her children. And so there's still grace and those who are following her but aren't completely given over to her that they can still repent. Repent. That's all they have to do. God isn't being mean. Why is he being mean? Why is he making them sick? Why are children dying? Because they're not repenting. They're destroying the church. If they don't repent, then there's judgment. This is if there's no repentance, then these things happen. She will get sick. Those who follow her will face tribulation and her children will be killed. Now, we don't know exactly what tribulation means here or that she would get sick, but we can infer very easily that it's bad. Tribulation, bad. That's my insight. And so we don't know what it is, but it's bad. It's a judgment on the situation. We don't want that tribulation. But it also says Jesus will kill her children. Oh man, this is one of those verses that people love to take out of context. How can you not agree with abortion? It says here that Jesus kills children. Right? I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying what the world w w would interpret this verse as. But this reference is not a reference to babies. In fact, it's not even a reference to children. It is a reference to people who follow her. 
That's what it's talking about. This is not babies. Why would Jesus do that to babies? He's doing that to those who reject him, just like the Jews who weren't Jews. He said they were children of Satan. They're not literally children of Satan. They, by their actions, are, are proclaiming that that is their father. And so in this case, Jesus says, well, if I'm not going to be your God, if my father's not going to be your father, if Jezebel's going to be your mother, well, here's the deal with that, though. I'm going to kill her children, just so you know that. Now, it is possible that when it talks about sickness, illness, and, and death here, that it may be physical Maybe physical death. We don't know, but it very well might be the case. But with certainty, we know that it's eternal death because we've already seen that referenced in this chapter, the second death, right? Hell, they're going to die. When Jesus says he's going to kill their children, whether that's this life or the, one to, the next one, he is going to kill these children with hell. And the scary part about this again the scariest part about this is not the gaze of Jesus, right, that flame. The scary part, maybe may just to me as a pastor, these people who are on their way to hell, who Jesus says they are going, he's going to kill, right? Jesus says, I'm going to kill your children. This is the church. Everybody that's being talked to here is sitting in the church. He's not talking about some cult outside the doors, this is happening in the church. And Jesus cares so much and loves his church so much that he's addressing this. Before they go into worse tribulation, you guys need to deal with this. The reality is there's deadly consequences for the tolerating of sin. There are seriously deadly consequences for churches that don't execute church discipline you know, according to Matthew 18, which we're not going to look at this morning, but Matthew 18, if you want to cross-reference, check me, church discipline. But why do we tolerate sin in the church? Why do we tolerate it? Remember, the issue is tolerance. All Jesus is asking of them here is to call sin, sin, to call the sinner to repentance. That's all he's asking of them. Now, they did call for repentance, and that's great. But when Jezebel didn't repent, they didn't get rid of her. When she didn't repent, they needed to get rid of her. She needed to not still be at church. She, she needed to not be meeting with people outside of church. She needed to be gotten rid of. They were tolerating her. She's leading Jesus' people into sin, leading those who Jesus says in this passage are still his servants. He still considers them his servants who are just being led astray by her. Why are you tolerating her? It's perfectly reasonable. We wouldn't let somebody in our house that was leading our families astray or leading our families to commit sexual sin. Why would we do that at church, our eternal family? That's the reality. We're stuck with each other forever. Why are we going to tolerate this now? Jesus doesn't like it. Jesus sees, and Jesus is here. He does not like the fact that we tolerate it. Maybe we do this because we think it's loving. What would Jesus do? Well, he would love 
right? He would love them to repentance and be forgiving. What does this context say? If they don't belong to me, why are they here? The church isn't for unbelievers. It's for believers. It's an issue that must be dealt with with faithful church discipline. But just like Thyatira churches today don't like going through church discipline. They don't like executing church discipline. And don't get me wrong, I hate it. It is by far, in a way, my least favorite part of this job. If I could not do it, I would not do it. But as we know from the book of James, I'm going to be held accountable, and I don't want a rock tied around my neck and me thrown into the ocean, so I'm going to do it. And I was also convicted this week going through it that that is just, Jesus sees what we do, sees what I do, and wants me to love him enough to stick up for him and for his sheep. So why do we tolerate sin in the church? I think Jezebel is probably as good as an example if we, as we can get. My guess, she's probably really good looking, Right? Or, or something about her. I'm sorry. I'm not going to move. I'm going I'm to get back to gripping the pulpit. Jezebel was probably attractive. She was probably highly charismatic, very influential, uh, well-spoken, admired. She, she probably belonged to this church for years and was friends with many of them, very close friends. She may have even had money and power. There was something about her that wasn't easy to get rid of, that nobody wanted to offend, that nobody wanted to deal with. She was a threat and she was powerful. However, a rich, charismatic, powerful, longtime friend who's a sinner and leads other people to sin is a sinner who needs to repent. And if she doesn't repent, she needs to be gotten rid of. That is what this text says. This isn't James being mean. This is Jesus saying he sees something. There's somebody in this church hurting this church. We are to confront her or him. Get rid of them. We are to treat them like they are not a believer. Again, uh, Matthew 18, I think 17. They may be a believer. It may be just like some of the believers here who, who Jesus says are believers, but they're being led astray. If we call somebody to repentance and they don't repent, or if they just leave or run away, they, according to this, according to Matthew 18, are not Christian. Christians repent when they are confronted. They do not run, they do not complain, they repent. We can't make excuses for them. I've seen it my whole life. This person gives so much money to the church. We can't confront them. We won't have church in two months. I don't think that's going to fly on Judgment Day. Sorry, Jesus, that, that we tolerated this sin, but they had a lot of money. You don't understand how charming they were or how many lunches we had together and how much I liked them. It's not going to fly we can't make excuses. We can't look the other way. We must see things as Jesus sees things. He takes this extremely seriously. This church is doing a lot of really good things. 
But they are doing this wrong. They are tolerating. And don't get me wrong, it is not easy. It is not easy. But Jesus sees that as well. Because Jesus sees our minds and our hearts and our actions. Verse 23. And all the church will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give each according to your works. Good? Good to go? Well, that's different. All right. All right. We're just going to edit all that out. <clears throat> and so, uh, this doesn't mean that we could think sinfully or unrighteously and have good actions, and then Jesus is like, okay, good, your actions are good, that's fine. Jesus cares about our heart as well, as we saw in the letter to Ephesus. He wants our heart, not just our actions. After all, our works are a result of what's happening in our heart and mind. And so it makes sense that he mentions all three here. I truly believe that when it comes to the action of tolerance, if we are tolerating sin in the church, then there is something wrong and unrighteous in our heart or our mind. And I believe that's why Jesus says, I see in your heart and your mind and your actions. They all work together. And maybe we just don't understand church discipline. Maybe we don't understand that it's necessary. Maybe we don't really understand how Jesus feels about it. Or maybe we think it doesn't really apply to us when somebody can just leave and go to another church. Why would we do that? Why would we make somebody leave to another church? They leave the church, they leave the church, period. Maybe it's a heart issue. Maybe we love Jesus less than that uncomfortable situation or that confrontation. We love our own pride more than we love Jesus. Or we don't love the church as much as we love Jesus. Like, this is our family. Do we love our family? And if this causes you discomfort, then we need to check our heart and our mind this morning. If you don't like the fact that I would tell somebody or you would tell somebody to stop sinning or stop causing someone to sin, just think if somebody came in these doors and told one of our youth, was explaining to them how to sexually sin or encouraging them to, you would not want to have it. This is very reasonable. This isn't extreme. This isn't mean. This is what we would do in our own homes. And yet this is our home. This is our family. And so why would we tolerate that here? We would not tolerate that at home. And I thought about this as well, and it's addressed here. It's like, what if there's a situation where your head and your heart are fine? Your actions are fine, but the church is wrong. What if everybody else in the church is wrong and they are tolerating, but you're sitting there and like, I'm not tolerating it. I've said, this is bad. I have done my part. And it's saying here that Jesus is going to judge the church, but I am not part. I've made, you know, I, I'm with Jesus clearly on this. What happens to the believer in a church that is sinning corporately? And I think this is addressed here, that Jesus sees the leader of the church, the corporate church, and the individual Christian. He sees them all at once, but sees them all separately as well. In verses 24 and 25, But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, 
who have not heard what some call the deep things of Satan. To you, I say, do not lay, uh, I, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. And so one thing I want to talk about for a few minutes here, and this applies to all the letters, is these letters are coming to these churches and being read aloud with an expectation that they're going to be listened to, that the corrections are going to be listened to, changes are going to be made, because in a couple of years, these churches are going to be annihilated. A lot of them just straight up murdered, destroyed. But what about, let me go back. So when these, these letters are read to these churches, there's responses. But the letters are originally given to who? The angel of the church. The messenger. The pastor. They are the first person to get this. They are the first person to react and, quite frankly, the most powerful person in that church. I'm just, that's just the way it is. They, they are in control, as it should be, as the under-shepherds to Jesus. Then there are those who are part of the church who are only hearing, and they don't have control. They may just sit there and agree with Jesus. Jesus, I'm so glad you saw this because I've been seeing this for months, if not years. And so what happens in that situation? In fact, I think here this issue of tolerance is more of a leadership issue. Right? If the leaders don't stop this tolerance, like what could you do? Like what would you do if I was like, We're, I'm not going to do anything? Like, how much can you do? Now, in addition, at the end of all the letters, you'll notice that even though they started with being addressed to a specific church, at the end of the letters, it says two things. One, to the churches. Anybody who's in a church anywhere, anywhere, and all during time, churches, and to the individual, to the one Right? At the end of every letter, to the one who hears, to the one who endures, to the one who conquers. And so you see Jesus doesn't just see the church as one, but he sees that leader, that angel messenger. He sees the congregation, and he sees the individual. And so maybe some of these churches didn't adhere to what Jesus told them, but there was a person or two who did. What happens in a situation like that. Well, this is exactly the situation we find ourselves in in this letter because notice who he's talking to, Jesus, changes. It says, to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching. He's talking to those, which I think is a leadership issue then. Hey, to the rest of you guys, I see you. I'm giving you specific directions now. And Jesus tells those who aren't part of Jezebel's followers two things. The first is to deal with Jezebel. And so it says, I do not lay on you any other burden. But it doesn't seem like it says what the first burden was or how many burdens there were. And so the only burden of this context is Jezebel. And so when Jesus says to the others, look, you guys are doing great. High five, guys, and all the things you're doing great. I'm not giving you any other commands, no other burdens. Just deal with this one burden. Deal with this Jezebel. And second, hold fast to the gospel. Now, holding fast to the gospel means living it out. 
One of the ways that we live out the gospel and hold fast to the gospel is distinguishing between those who hold fast to the gospel and those who don't. Again, the church is for believers. It's not a hangout for anybody else. It's not babysitting. It is not a social group. It is for believers. We are to know who among those are true believers and who are not. Who are causing us to sin and who are not. Other Christians who love Jesus are not only going to not lead you to sin, they're going to lead you to Jesus. We need more Christians here. The idea isn't to get bigger by people. The idea is to get bigger by Christians. The best way to hold fast to the gospel is to surround your people, uh, yourself with people who hold fast to the gospel. Right? We want strong people who love Jesus to help us love Jesus. That will encourage us to stay on the path that leads to reward. And so we find reward in... in, in Verse 26, the one who conquers and who keeps my words until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even I myself have received authority from my Father. And this is the other reference to Psalm 2 that I was talking about. And so, what we see here is a reference to Psalm um, 2, uh, 8. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, I'm not going to go too far, and I guess it's verse 7. I'm sorry, guys. Verse 7 there. Um, And so, what's happening here is he's tying this whole sequence together. Why did you introduce Psalm at the, the Psalm, second Psalm at the beginning of this passage, of this letter? And I'm not going to go too far into Psalm 2 because Daniel's going to preach on it pretty soon. He'll take you through Psalm 2. It's an incredible psalm referenced throughout the Bible. He will take you through it. I'm only going to focus on one thing this morning then, and that, that is why reference this in this context And that is the fact Jesus, it says, is rewarding those who are already ruling. Jesus is going to reward those who rule the church well. The reward is for those who who have shown ourselves that we can handle the church, right? That, That we love Jesus and that we will rule under his rule accordingly. And so if we do that in his church, we are rewarded with doing that over all the nations. Run the church well, and we could rule the world with him. Verse 28 highlights this as well. And I will give him the morning star. Now, I believe this, uh, it's referenced a couple places in the Bible, but I think since the last uh, church was referenced Balaam, I think this ties, as we see these letters, kind of tie into each other and build on each other. Balaam's last oracle In Numbers 24, 17, he said this, A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. And so this is a reference to the promised one, Jesus, being given to the faithful ones who rule his church well, saying that that we will rule with him, but that it's Jesus as the authority. Jesus is the scepter. Jesus is the glory. Jesus is the power 
that's ruling, and we're going to rule with him, but the authority, the scepter, is actually Jesus himself. And this promise is getting Jesus himself. Now, the letter to Thyatira ends in verse 29. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so again, we see the singular and the corporate, the one who has an ear, right? And the churches. So don't be discouraged if you're ever in a church where you feel like you're the only one who loves Jesus. Keep loving Jesus. Keep speaking up. You will be rewarded accordingly, even if the church is judged corporately. You go to a church that is sinning corporately and they are judged, you will still receive your reward. Don't feel like you will be flushed out with, with, with the judgment of that church. Stay faithful. Now, I, I understand a sermon about church discipline is not the easiest sermon to hear for some of us. Some of us have had experiences or heard of experiences or stories or know someone or know someone who has been disciplined and you didn't understand it. You thought it was mean. It was not fair. Why aren't they here? And I understand that. It's difficult. But understand this. This is what Jesus, this is the way Jesus is telling us to see things. He's not telling you to understand. He's telling you to understand how he sees it. And so here it says, listen to the Spirit. And so if when we talk about church discipline, if something comes to mind, a, a, a situation that, that you didn't agree with, then you need to stop listening to the flesh and start listening to the Spirit. What does the Spirit say? Listen to Jesus. What does Jesus say? Have love and faith, right? Patient endurance and, and, and works and service. But do not tolerate. What, is, what does the Spirit say? Do not tolerate. What does Jesus say? Do not tolerate. We can't make excuses. This poor church has one big problem, and that is that they tolerate. And so church, because Jesus sees all, let him see us listening to the Spirit and not to Jezebel. Let me pray. God, you are awesome. I love preaching your word. And I don't know if it's I'm a glutton for punishment. Uh, my, my choice in sports teams that I follow would suggest that I am. But I think I consider myself sort of a glutton for punishment because I love when you just tear me up. When you just give us truth that just gets right into our hearts and our minds and our soul and challenges us. I thank you, Lord, by your grace that you, did, that you do not just let us continue in sin, but you tell us specifically, this is what I see this is the way you need to see it. You need to decide whose side you're going to be on. Thank you for making it that clear to us. Having said that, Lord, this is not an easy teaching. 
And so we do need your spirit. We do need to hear by your Holy Spirit, Lord, by your conviction, by you renewing our minds, Lord, to see things as you see them, to have the zeal that you do and the love that you do for your church, a love that sees us doing good things. And even today, no matter what goes wrong, you see all the good things, Lord. And I would ask, Lord, for whatever you would see in this church that is sinful, that doesn't bring you glory, that offends you, that you would convict us, again, by your Spirit, Lord, of that sin so that we can not tolerate it. Maybe it's ignorance this morning or arrogance, whatever it may be. Convict us, Lord. Convict me. Convict all of us to lean into that awkwardness of of having to repent and having to speak about things that are important to you. We take this relationship with you as your church, as our highest privilege and priority, Lord. Please help us, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.